When I was growing up, I, um, I basically only learnt to read because of Roald Dahl, the author Roald Dahl. Um, and one of my favourite Roald Dahl books was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And uh, the 70s film starring Gene Wilder also became one of my favourite films. Um, and we still watch it today. So the boys love to watch, well Leo likes to watch it at least. And I even have a t-shirt with Gene Wilder's face on the front, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and um, I think one of the things about the film that is so good is that it shows how, um, how, how God's, uh, how, sorry, how Willy Wonka is so generous. And it re reminded me of, as we were reading this passage, about how generous God is. In fact, the, the, the story has so many Christian imagery in it. Uh, in our wedding, Joe and I actually showed an excerpt from the film in our wedding um, because it, it demonstrated to us a, um, a, an image of marriage, which is that you, you narrow your choices down to this really small choice it, and, and you think you're limiting all your options. Um, but when you go through that little door, which happens in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they go through this little tiny door. On the other side is the whole amazing, glorious chocolate factory. And so we thought we'd use that in our, in our wedding, which is a bit weird. But anyway, one of the reasons why people love this story is because of the main character, Charlie Bucket, who is very poor and kind-hearted, and he's, he's blessed and his life is transformed by generosity of people, generosity of his grandfather, and ultimately the generosity of Willy Wonka. Uh, the story goes a bit like this. The world is astounded when Willy Wonka, for years a recluse in his factory, decides that he wants to allow five people in to show them the secrets of, this ama of his amazing candy and then they'll win a lifetime supply of Wonka bars um, at the end of it. And nobody wants the prize more than Charlie, but um, as his family is so poor, um, buying even one bar of chocolate is, is a real treat and a very rare to happen. Um, but buying enough bars so that they can actually find the golden ticket, that seems so far off. Um, and Charlie, along with all these other spoiled children, um, eventually, four other spoiled children, eventually get this golden ticket and get to go into the factory. But what the children don't realise is, is that this is also a test of character. Um, Willy Wonka's testing the five children to see if they really um, are good children. And all the other children, the four other kids, Veruca Salt, Violet Beauregard, Mike TV and Augustus Gloop, uh, they all turn out to be selfish brats and die. Well, they, sort of, they don't actually die, but it looks like in the story they die. They get sucked into pipes and swallowed into things and turn purple and explode. But Charlie is a kind-hearted little boy and uh, at the end of the story Willy Wonka gives him not only a lifetime supply of Wonka bars but the whole factory. And he says to Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything you wanted. And Charlie says, what happened? And he says, you lived happily ever after. And to me, like, it's a blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the, the, the ch chocolate factory kind of story. <laughs> it's a nice allegory, whether intended or not. Probably, maybe Roald Dahl was influenced by a Christian upbringing. I don't know if he, he was a Christian or not, but um, 
It's a great image of the, the economy of the kingdom of God, an economy of surplus where there's so much to go around. In God's economy, he shows grace and generosity to his people, so much so that they then want to go and show grace and generosity to other people. But as we shall see, Jesus is the true and better Willy Wonka, who offers something far greater than an inheritance of a chocolate factory. So we're going to conclude our series today of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we've had these, the focus on giving. The first week we focused on sacrificial giving, that we give sacrificially in response to Jesus' sacrifice. In the second week we looked at, um, at uh, uh, enthusiastic giving. And we looked at how it's one thing to be enthusiastic, but you've also got to be organised. And it's got to be a voluntary thing. And there's got to be accountability to that enthusiastic giving. And today, we're going to look at abundant giving. This passage shows that because we have a God who's so generous, we should be generous too. And I ask you, are you a generous and abundant giver? Have you ever had the amazing joy of giving so much away? My prayer is this morning that your heart will be stirred so that you become an abundant and generous giver. So there's two halves of talk, how you do it, and the second half is the result of giving abundantly. How you give abundantly and the result. How do you give abundantly? So the passage says, first of all, that you give what you have decided in your heart. The whole premise of this story is that we have an abundant and generous God. Look at verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly. Verse 10, God is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Verse 14, God has given them his surpassing grace. Verse 15, God has given them his indescribable gift. God is lavish. Listen to Psalm 65. He visits the earth and causes it to overflow. He greatly enriches it. The stream of God is full of water. He waters its trenches abundantly. He settles its ridges. He softens it with showers. He blesses its growth. He has crowned the year with his bounty and his paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. John 1, 16, 4, of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace. Our father is the one who welcomed his lost son home and threw a big party and gave him his signet ring and his cloak and killed the biggest, fattest calf and had a spit roast. In God's economy, there's an infinite surplus. There's more than enough to go around. Remember the time when Jesus was tired and with his disciples. He went to try and escape to a quiet place, but then a crowd of 5,000 groupies followed him and uh, so Jesus having compassion on them began to teach them about many things and it approached dinner time and they said oh what should we do now we're in trouble we've organised this rock festival and there's nothing to feed them so Jesus like one of those rock festival organisers looked at the 5,000 crowd and kind of got them in groups and said you sit over there and you sit over there there's groups of 50 and groups of 100 just like Woodstock then he said what are we going to feed them with and all he had was five loaves and two fish and he held it up to God and said grace and handed the food to the disciples to distribute. Then it says in Mark 6 verse 42 that they all ate and they were all satisfied and the disciples had 12 full-on baskets of food. 
God doesn't sit there like you do when you're at the birthday party with a cake and, and says, how many people are in the room? 32. Okay, so what we're going to do is go down the middle, across that way, and then we'll just go in eights, and then we'll just go around again in sixteens and 32. And there's, everyone gets a piece about one millimetre thick and sort of hands it out like this, and, you know. That's not how God works. God says, I'm going to multiply the cake so that everyone can have more than one cake. So since God is lavish and generous, so we too should be ready and not reluctant to respond in generosity. Verse 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver because God's a cheerful giver. And it says, each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or or under compulsion. As we learned last week, in the kingdom of God, our generosity should be voluntary. We have freedom to give. So the problem is, I guess, with this freedom, we could then abuse the freedom and make it freedom to sin. We're not given freedom to give so we can be casual and lazy or even impulsive. We're free to give, as we learned last week, in a way that's organised and can be kept accountable. When I was growing up, and even still today in many churches, the way you did giving in church was with an envelope which had a special number on it for each week of the year, week one to 52. And I think actually the the factory that makes those envelopes is in the inner north somewhere. I drive past it sometimes. Um, And the point is, if you miss one week at church, you'll have two envelopes the following week, and you put your envelope in as it goes around, and it's it's got some of the cash you got from your paycheck for that week. But in the current culture we live in, I don't think that's going to work so well. I, I, I can't imagine that if I gave you the option for the envelope system, too many people here would take it out. Maybe one or two of you will. The organised people. Most people struggle to come to church before 10.20. They're not going to remember envelopes, are they? So electronic automatic giving is much better, isn't it? It's a better system for us in our culture. But we need to continually remind ourselves to be generous and reconsider what we're giving. Not just sit back and relax and not notice anything missing from our account. So one challenge I have for you this morning is to ask yourself the question, am I generous in my giving? Are you giving your shirt and your coat as well? To use the words of Jesus. And it's a question that only you can answer. There's no kind of number, magic number you cross over and at that point you suddenly become generous. What is generous for one person is not necessarily, it might be stingy for another. One person might give 5% of their income and think that they're Willy Wonka. Whereas the other person gives 5% and think that they're um, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's between you and it's between God. And as the minister of this church, I know who gives, but I don't know the amount. Only the treasurer knows. And um, I know what Joe and I give. And I have to say, I'm constantly questioning myself about the amount that we give, both to church and to mission and ministry. The danger with electronic giving is we set the amount and forget about it. So an important habit is to keep going back and and to reconsider. So that's one thing about how you give. You give from your heart, you give generously because God gives us generously and you think about it. But also you've got to remember that giving is sowing. So that's the image used in this passage. Verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
It's a farming metaphor. So sowing is an organic investment. You take the seed, you put it in the ground, you step back, and then a few days or weeks later, something grows out of the ground. In the same way, you you take your money in the kingdom of God and you you sow it, you give it over, you stand back, you wait, a a few days go by, a week, a month, a year, a few years go by, and something, spiritual fruit grows. The Corinthian church were both very wealthy and also tight-fisted with their money, and Paul was conscious of this. So this is why he had to remind them of this farmer's proverb. If they only put a few seeds in the ground, they should only expect a few things to grow. If they put a lot of seeds in the ground, they can expect a big, generous harvest. God generously sows, and he also abundantly harvests. So too, if the weather is good, the farmer, if they put lots of seed, will receive a good harvest. So this farming metaphor is helpful because it reminds us that we go into it accepting that we'll be blind to what happens to the money. Okay? Joe was pointing out, my wife Joe was pointing out at a community group on Tuesday that one of the big problems that not-for-profits face um, uh, aid organisations who receive giving from, you know, voluntary giving from people is that they often want to see exactly where their money's going and feel a personal connection to that gift of money. So, you know, if, you, if uh, World Vision or, or TIA, where Joe works, was just to say, um, we'd like to invite people to give to TIA, there's just a big bank account, just put money into it, and we'll decide what to do with it. It wouldn't attract that much giving. What people want to see is, oh, my money's going to build a well or my money's going to go to a sponsored child. And that's the name of the sponsored child. There's the photo, and that's what they've been doing at school this year, and there's the letter they've written me. There's a direct connection there. And um, people want to have a kind of a sense of, like, control over where that money's going. But when you sow seed, the seed of giving, in the kingdom of God, you take this seedling and you bury it down, bury it down in the dirt, and you effectively hand it over to God. You water it, you nurture it, and you see what happens, see what God's going to do. And slowly while you're going about your life, over several days and weeks, God grows it. We have to let go of this idea that we can control our money, our giving. Now, I'm not saying the church leadership shouldn't have checks and balances with, with what we do with our money, but we should be good stewards. But... Even then, to give is to sow, and it is to let go and to trust God. So how do you give abundantly? You give what's in your heart, and you sow your money by handing it to God and stepping back. So what's the result of giving? The result of giving abundantly. First of all, the more you give, the more you will receive, is what the passage says. Several times in this passage it says this. Verse 6, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Verse 10, the generous giver will be blessed with a harvest of righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. And Paul talks about this idea elsewhere. Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you give abundantly, you can expect to be enriched for great generosity. God will continue to bless you with both the means 
and the opportunity and the desire for graciousness. You'll be enriched so that you can be generous on every occasion, it says in verse 11. The greater the giving, the greater the enrichment. The greater the enrichment, the greater the resources to give. Now, many of you will be aware of a heresy in the 20th, 20th century church and the 21st century, becoming less popular now, called prosperity doctrine. And I think that there's a lot of good things about prosperity doctrine. There's a lot of good things about it. Um, uh, for example, you know, we often forget as wealthy middle-class Christians, as Tom reminded us, that um, we often forget that our wealth comes from God. We like, to, we like to think that we earn the money, but in prosperity doctrine, you're reminded that God is the one that is giving you the money. And I once heard uh, um, one of the great uh, prosperity doctrine leaders of Australia, a guy called Ian Jabelman, who started CCC, one of the CCC kind of pioneers in the CCC church in Sydney, said, you, you evangelicals don't even believe that God gave you your money. You just think you earned it yourself. You, don't, you just take for granted. Well, of course, there is a problem with prosperity doctrine as well, isn't there? In the Old Testament, it was clear that the multiplication of your wealth and resources was seen as a blessing from God. Job, for example, went through everything that he went through, and at the very last chapter of Job, God gives him twice as much as what he started with. But in the New Testament, the way God's people are enriched is through spiritual fruitfulness. And that's a big problem with prosperity doctrine. We don't give so that we get more money. I mean, how, how must the Christians in developing countries think, if that's how it works? Ephesians 1, verse 7 to 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God wants to lavish on us his blessings, his grace, spiritual blessings. Enrichment and blessing comes through the care of the people of the church as well. Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth, but store your treasures up in heaven. Jesus is not talking about gold and cash. And we talked about this on youth group on Friday night. He's talking about your inheritance of your eternal life. He's talking about entering into the master's joy. Remember the parable of the bags of gold and the master's words to the faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the blessings that you get. Blessings upon blessings. So let's look carefully at what Paul is actually promising in verse 8. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. So if you give abundantly, you can expect to be blessed by God with spiritual blessings. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again. It's a good story. Um, it's about Peter Adam when he was the vicar of St. Jude's. And a young adult came to him and said, as young adults often do, Look, I'm just not feeling God at the moment. I, I just don't really, I, I just don't sense God's in my life anymore. And I just am not really feeling anything when I go to church anymore. And Peter Adam said, why don't you try giving away all your money? See, giving away your money, according to this passage, is a very direct and guaranteed way of receiving God's blessing. 
If you want, want your heart to be filled with joy and you want to know God's presence in your life, give away your money. Give it abundantly. Give so that it hurts. Give so your lifestyle is curved. Remember what I said in week one, you can't relieve someone's burden without being burdened yourself. Or as Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose your life. So the first result of giving abundantly is that God will bless you and you will grow in your faith. Your heart will be full. You will want to give more. You will have grace upon grace. And secondly, the passage says that if you sow generously, you will encourage others to praise God. As the poor and the hungry Christians in Jerusalem who were going to receive the money from the Corinthian church, as they suddenly received the money and were able to eat finally, can you imagine the joy they would have had of praising God and saying, thank you, God, for everything that you've given us. Thank you, God, for the Corinthian church and their generosity. They will be overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, it says in verse 12. They will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See, what happens with Christians and looking at other Christians is that we know that lots of Christians are around who believe in Jesus, but when we see fellow brothers and sisters who live out their faith radically by doing things like giving away their money, that excites us in our faith. It's like the best thing for our own personal encouragement. When we don't give generously to the poor and to the ministry of church, we actually opt out of the privilege of meeting human need and we opt out of the honour of promoting God's glory. Generous and abundant giving, it's not the way we earn our salvation, rather it's the kind of evidence of our faith. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, verse 13. And there's a kind of a bond of affection between the givers and the receivers that occurs. There are people in my life who um, have been giving generously to the ministries I've been involved in since I've been in ministry, uh, since for 17 years. And it's not that we sit around talking about, remember the time you gave $5,000 to my ministry? It's not like we do that. But, but I just know, and they know, and there's a, there's a kind of a, a partnership you have with those people that lasts into decades. Um, I've noticed since, that we've, since our church has started giving to our mission partners of um, Rob Miller at Christian Union and Lauren Moore, who's with Pioneers in Lourdes in France, and in also the Dumba Project with Tia, that my own personal interest in those ministries has shot right up into the ceiling. I'm really interested in what's going on because I think what's happened is um, a, a bond has formed. Um, see, what, what happens is, it's really cool, in, the, in, in God's economy, Jesus dies on the cross, he rises again, and he starts this chain reaction of grace. Uh, the, the grace goes, pours out onto the world, and we receive it and respond, and the grace keeps going, like domino effect. This is the indescribable gift, which is talked about in verse 15. So embrace the lifestyle of being a generous, abundant giver. You can begin the process by giving to the ministry of this church. There's giving forms at the back. You can prayerfully give sacrificially, enthusiastically and abundantly. You can do what Tom said and be accountable with each other in your Christian brothers and sisters at church. You can see the giving result in more gospel ministry in people's lives being changed. 
You can see your giving result in the poor praising God. You can bring glory to God by demonstrating the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. I said at the start that Jesus is a truer and better Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka, he offered Charlie everything that he ever wanted and he lived happily ever after. But Jesus gives us everything that we ever need and that is the true happiness of the Christian life. Let's pray. We pray, Lord, for this church that we can uh, be a church that is generous and that, um, that is excited and enthusiastic and sacrificial and abundantly like given. Um, we thank you that you use our money to your glory and that it gets distributed where it needs to go. And we pray that we can continue to serve you that way and that we can receive the blessing that um, you get from sowing um, generously. We thank you for the grace that you unleashed on the world through your ultimate gift of dying on the cross and rising again. And um, we pray that 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 generosity extends into our lives to other people. Amen.